0: On this episode of the Driving Improvement Podcast, part one of the Teacher of the Year Roundtable, featuring John Scott Rattan and Chris George. Rattan is the 2020 Middle Atlantic PGA Teacher of the Year, a Golf Digest-ranked instructor, and teaching professional at famed Congressional Country Club in Bethesda, Maryland. Chris George, the 2010 MAPGA Teacher of the Year, is a Golf Digest-ranked instructor and the director of instruction at the Kings Mill Resort in Williamsburg, Virginia. In this episode, we put three teachers of the year together to try and help golfers reach their potential by discussing best practices and lessons, how people learn best, and what you can do in your practice sessions to reach your ultimate potential. If you're a golfer in search of improvement, grab your notebook and get ready. The Driving Improvement Podcast with Mark Russo, right now. (laughs) Well, welcome into the Driving Improvement Podcast, everyone, and I'm really excited to start part one of what hopefully is many uh, of these with the MAPGA Teachers of the Year Roundtable. And with me today, I've got John Scott Rattan from Congressional Country Club and Chris George from Kings Mill Resort in Williamsburg, Virginia. Fellas, how are you?
1: Good, Very Mark, well. How are you doing, buddy?
0: Uh, doing great, guys. Uh, hanging in there and busy as I'm sure you guys are. Um, so, you know, as we get into it, just sort of give us, give everybody, uh, John Scott, we'll start with you, but, you know, status of everything for you, how things been with, you know, as you've gotten back to work and what's, uh, what are things looking like on the lesson T for you these days?
1: You know, it's, it's, it's been great to be on the lesson tee, number one, um, been great to be in a job where you're safe and everything's good with that. Um, I'm teaching at Bethesda Country Club right now because Congressional is under renovation. So uh, Bethesda's oh, yeah. been amazing. Pat Beddingfield and Ted Pogrel in the club have been amazing to, to have me there. Um, so I love it. Every day that we have, I'm able to teach. It's a bonus day right now. So
0: Awesome. Chris, how about you,
2: man? So uh, I second uh, John Scott as well and you as well, Mark, about being able to teach and have a job where we're outside teaching full time. Um, and it's been great. You know, I've seen a lot of players that have been introduced to the game because of this. It's opened some other avenues for other players and brought a lot of players back to the game that hadn't played in a while. So it's been exciting.
0: Yeah, and we'll get into a little bit of that, too. What's sort of been the state of it, you know, with you guys in terms of, uh, you know, Chris, you, you do, a, you certainly do a lot of golf school business, uh, among other things at Kingsmill. How has this whole, you know, pandemic and all this other craziness and adjustments to life, life, life affected your golf schools?
2: It's changed them dramatically. Um, we certainly (laughs) rescheduled quite a few of them for, from the spring. Um, I have some scheduled for the fall and then we're looking into 2021. So, um, the dynamic of it from an instruction standpoint, hasn't really changed, but when you look at it from an accommodation food and beverage standpoint, that dynamic has drastically changed. And so we're looking for 2021 to be a great year.
0: Yeah. John Scott, how about you?
1: You know, most of my golf schools, I've yet to see, um, most of what I'll do from a golf school, school perpe- uh, perspective will be in the winter in the fall months, like when the weather gets bad in the D.C. area. So we, I usually travel. You take groups and we travel to to Florida and we do different trips. I don't do that many schools during the year. Um, I do more one on one and competitive stuff like that. Uh, but I'm going to see I, I don't foresee any traveling or anything going south or in the winter. I don't foresee that happening very much.
0: Yeah, I guess I know, you know, I was doing those uh, yeah. helping Pat out and yep. I run into you down at PGA yeah. Village. And yeah, I mean, I just don't, from my perspective, I, I, I was like, oh, I yeah, you know one. what? Maybe I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll do some of that. And then I'm like, what am I talking about? Yeah, <laughs> we, yeah. I mean, we can barely get inside to teach yeah. you or, you know, and do anything. So, uh, yeah, that's that's going to be a dramatic change.
1: I think I might um, come down to Chris George's place in Williamsburg. It's gonna be a little warmer in Williamsburg. Come on down. Yeah, there you go. At least 10 <laughs> degrees. Hours, it's eight, nice. Yeah, there we go. Know? Hey, 10 degrees. <laughs> a lot.
0: So, fellas, as we get get into it, and we're going to cover a lot of ground here, and hopefully the goal of this whole thing is really to help people who are listening to find ways at their varying levels to get better. So, the first question is a real simple one for both of you. Chris, you can start us off as, why the hell is golf so damn hard? <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, there's there are a lot of variety uh, to, to the game of golf. Um, it, it is a pursuit of endless perfection i'll start there uh, you have players that enter it at different levels and you may be a player that comes into the sport from a very athletic background and played at a very high level whether it's collegiate at another sport so your expectation as a player and an athlete is um, at, a, at a level and then you pick up this uh, very poorly designed stick and try and hit a round ball with some dimples in it and it just doesn't behave to the way you think it should and um So the expectation component of uh, the reality of how difficult the game is, the timing of moving a club through space, uh, hitting a ball that's not moving, which would seem that it shouldn't be that difficult, but it is, um, at least to have command of it, um, plays a role. So expectations of the player, uh, maybe skill level, and then a good understanding of what the expectation should be of, of how consistent and I'll use that in quotes we'll get to that one uh, a player oh, should be out.
0: Gotcha. John Scott, what do you think, man?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think like I have a great example coming from from quarantine. Most people weren't playing a lot of golf during quarantine. You most had 2 or 3 months off. You come to your first lesson after 2 or 3 months off and all of a sudden you got three different bad habits. Like that's the epitome of golf for you is like you can come in there and do you do nothing different than you were you, you were doing a couple of days ago and something's different or something feels different. And, there's so much more nuance into the game. like at every level you get from a 90 shooter to 80 shooter to 70. There's so much nuance that I think is not respected enough in the game to be fair. Like you read different, like David Epstein goes off on golf about um, being such a robotic sport. You just do this and then that, well, there's so much more nuance to reading a lie or the wind or it's downhill or the grass is wet or the moisture. Like there's so much more that goes into it. So um and like as a beginning golfer or someone who's just taking up the game, there's just so much to learn in it. And there's so much like feedback that a player needs to get. Um, so it's asking a lot from a new player. So there's just so much going on.
0: Yeah. And, and I, yeah, I agree with both of you. I mean, the, just the, the, the variability you talked about it there, John Scott, just the, the there's, you're never going to get the same lie twice. Yeah. And you know, everybody wants, they wants a clear cut uh, black and white answer to a lot of it and there's just there is no black and white in this game it's just it's a moving target And as andrew rice i think i've heard andrew say it many times the, the human element too and it all it just makes it so difficult um so and you brought up the you guys brought up chris brought the word up cons- consistency which we you know you ask people you know what you want to get out of it and i want to be more consistent um which is always kind of you know a, a a funny chuckle we get there because there's a lot more to it than that. But why is improvement, uh, John Scott, why is improvement such a struggle sometimes for people?
1: I mean, I think when I hear consistent, like most players that come in that are consistent, they are consistent. They're just doing it consistently bad. I look for yes. repeatable. And I say that a lot. I say, I mean, I'm not probably say that five or six times a day and like repeatable mm-hmm. and consistent are different. And you have to kind of teach your, you, like it takes a lot of awareness um, from the students standpoint and acceptance and awareness and accepting some, something we, we all probably need and patience. Um, yeah. Like I, I, see that part a lot in beginning golfers. It's just, it's just a hard game to take up very early. It's just really hard, especially the later in age you get, like it's really hard as a 24 or 25 year old or 40 year old to take the game up.
2: Yeah. I'd second that too. Uh, John Scott, that's a great way. And an example I use with, with those players, beginners or, or just newly to the game is so many players judge their success every eight seconds, basically every ball they yeah. hit. And I try and still upon them that let's let's judge the hundred balls that we hit today against the hundred balls we hit next Tuesday. And and let's kind of value what's the improvement in that window and then what's the hundred balls we hit a month from now. And and so when you look at that grouping of balls instead of one shot with one Ending at one destination, you you don't lose the perspective of what is consistency because, you know, every player at every level should have a, a good picture of consistency. If you're a beginner, you might hit two shots out of a hundred that come off like you envision or think you should hit. You know, if you're a 15 handicapper, you might hit 25 shots out of a hundred. You know that come out like you envision, and, and as you get lower in the handicap, um, the single digits might hit you know, 40, 45. And believe it or not, as you get bigger into that lower handicap, they think they should hit more than they actually should.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think like, it it brings me back to so many lessons that I give where like, take your slicer, a guy comes in to your lesson or a female comes in and they're hitting the ball way to the right. We see it every day. Probably they're hitting a big slice and we're trying to get them to draw it in the first five or six swings. They probably overhook it and us as teachers were like this is great like he actually felt the club release or he hit it more off the middle or the toe not the heel and so often I'll be like that was awesome I'll clap and I'll, I'll cheer him like man that was awesome and the ball will go 50 yards left of where he was intended and he doesn't get it and he's like wait a minute I thought I was supposed to hit it straight and like no 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 the goal is to be able to use your hands different or hit like so, I think as the student, it's a really different way of learning because it's chaotic. It's it's not, all right, just because I told you to, to get the face to do this means everything's going to be perfect. It's learning this nuance of how this thing's supposed to work.
2: Yeah, b- building into that as well, going into when they do that, it is such a great experience. You know, when yeah. we see that happen, because then the explanation of, okay, you're, you're understanding how to influence the golf club, you're, you're yeah. sending the proper message. And now, because of the skill level, let's start to, to squeeze in your dispersion. But as long as you don't hit the same shot twice, we're okay. Yep. So if you hit one right, and then you know what to do to make it go left, and it goes way left, just make it go less to the left the next time. You got it. And then... You know, then now you're managing your game. You're actually practicing with a purpose. You start to increase the or squeeze down the amount of time it's going to take to improve or at least decrease your dispersion. And then, as you said in the beginning, doing the same thing, repeatability versus the consistency and sending the same message. You know, you're going to get a variety of results, even if you do the same thing every time. We are human, which is one of the things you mentioned earlier, Mark, is that we're not going to do the same thing every time. We're going to our intent should be the same. Mm -hmm. but we may produce it a little bit different each time. Well, you're telling me I I can't
1: make the same swing of the seven iron every time and it won't go
0: the same way. I know, (laughs) shocking. Yeah, I I mean, I I think right off the hop here, we've got a a golden section in this and that, you know, I say this to people all the time that I'm starting with and they, we make a change. And as you said, John Scott, they hook one and they usually slice it. And I'm loving that and like change is good. uh, And their expectation level needs to, change a little bit too but understanding that they can't fix ball to ball as you said I love what you said Chris you know 100 balls this week 100 balls it has to be on patterns we got to start to see the change as an overall and not go one to one
1: you'll drive yourself bananas doing that I think Uh, so I think when uh when Jason Day was number one in the world his best score that year he shot he was 61 and his worst score was 83 so there's 23 (laughs) shots in there and so like, I think consistency in that is like, well, hey, hey, look, this guy's job every day is to wake up and play golf. Like this guy has everything at his disposal to be consistent. And he like, he's not shooting. He might have an average of 70, which like it might look consistent, but it's really different. So I think it's just really making, being aware of like being data informed, not data driven in that part. It's it's just really different than people expect.
2: Yeah. And not yeah. having those short-term reactions. I mean, we got a great example happening, right now i mean you think about dj right just shot some unbelievable right. numbers and and a month ago you know there were rounds where he shot yeah, 80 he withdrew yeah
1: he withdrew yeah. from minnesota couldn't right. finish
2: yeah. it's 80, not 80. just you i think that's so yeah. important for a human to understand this is a, a person at the peak of their game at the professional level and they're they're searching everyone's yeah. searching for it
0: yeah yeah that's i mean yeah what he shoot 80 80 78 Withdrew, and then yeah. he just shot thirty under par <laughs> this week. I yeah. mean, it, it, if this and, game, if that doesn't tell you how ridiculous this game is, nothing will. He
1: probably feels like he should have shot forty under par. I mean, he yeah. shot par yeah. under after yeah. eleven. That's pretty high. Like, what are you doing?
0: Yeah. So uh, before we get into a couple things here, guys, one last piece that I, I wanted to ask you two about um, that I've talked to a couple other guests about too that I think to go into what we're talking about a little bit in, in terms of people improving and wanting to get quotes air quotes here consistent is people's ability to accurately and honestly self-evaluate where they are and how good they are um, and how good their certain parts of their game are. Um, you know, I think golfers are pretty much terrible at that. Hmm. Um, every, everybody's a air quotes again, pretty good putter um you know and my short game's pretty good and they average 95 so if you shoot 95 your <laughs> short game isn't good so i'm curious what you guys have to say about that john scott you start us off yeah
1: I mean that's a great point i, I think so many people get feedback that's emotional and not objective and they don't want to really be objective because if they were they probably wouldn't like the answer very much um there's some tough love in there somewhere <laughs> um yeah but yeah they, 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 it's hard to it's hard to be a 95 shooter and have a really good short game like like it's all relative to you know you might hit one or two good but is it repeatable you might it it, and then you don't want to play with the players confidence so there's some again there's some there's layers to all that that question but um the the awareness would be pretty low on that Mm -hmm. chris how about you
2: yeah awareness I would say is is extremely low um the The one thing that that helps now they have some technology at their disposal they have apps like golf logic or or um you know game golf or Arcos whatever it might be that they're using to track um eighteen birdies something of that nature um so that does bring some to the light as far as what may be their overall weak areas but not their actually performance areas. And, and what I try to help them understand is that, you know, there there are deficiencies in different areas. So if you have a scoring deficiency, scoring deficiency in short game that shows up in an app, like let's say you're up and down percentages or scrambling percentage is not what it should be for the next level that you want to achieve. Then that could be a multitude of things. That could be a technique issue. That could be a strategy issue. Uh, that could be, um, a, you know, Club selection issue. That could be a lot of different things, and those are the kind of things I look into after I give them a, an assessment, and they bring me that. Here's the part of the game that I know is my struggle, um, and then once we identify that, is it a contact issue? Is it a shot technique issue? Um, and that really starts to to move the ball in the right direction, and then helping them understand that you know what what should be their objectives. If we're just using this short game greenside shot as an example, that you got three things you're trying to achieve right now at your level, whatever that might be. Um, and that is first below the hole when you hit that wet shot. Second is, you know, somewhat below three and nine o'clock if six o'clock is a straight uphill putt. Um, and that's a good starting point. And then as you decrease the proximity to the hole, you increase your odds of making that up and down. Um, but I would tell you their individual awareness is far from accurate. Um, they tell you they're a lot better than they actually are.
1: I think the best players that I'm around, and Chris and Mark, you guys speak to this too, is like you come into a lesson. The first ten minutes, you're doing a little pulse check, and you're saying, "All right, so how'd you play in your last round? Like what? Like how'd you hit it in the last round?" The best players you're around, they're gonna say, "Well, I hit a couple off the heel. The ball, I could I wasn't able to fade it. My flighted shots weren't good. Uh, my distance control, my wedges weren't great. Shot seventy-two, or whatever. Like it's very like, okay, I need to work on." x y and z and the farther you get away from that it's like no i you know i felt pretty good i felt i hit some good shit and then the, the the feedback or the awareness on the 90 shooter or the 100 shooter it's like way different it's like it's not even yeah. in the close ballpark I, it's how they feel it's it's very um, emotional it's it's not really reality they could have had two shots on par threes they hit off the heel and it hit the bunker and it went on the green like i've number 12 well that doesn't really like you gotta yeah. be really like uh, aware of all right, the best players I'm around, they're saying, Did I hit it off the heel, the middle of the toe? Did I hit it heavy or thin? Um, did the ball go high or low? Did the ball feel heavy? Did it feel light when I hit? And so they know the speed that it's coming out of, the distance control. They're taking all that and it's five, seven seconds. They don't even know they're doing it. Five or seven seconds, maybe. So as mm-hmm. a teacher, I'm yeah. always like, I'm always cultivating that. You're always like reinforcing, hey, asking a lot of questions. Yeah, and, yeah, and that's go ahead, chris
2: you know i'll take that that's kind of the better end of the players i, I agree 100 percent with that but then then we have to dig a lot deeper to to that 15 handicapper that comes in and says boy i'm hitting my driver terrible yeah so that's when yeah. we start asking the questions okay let's let's talk about your drive 100%. how many balls did you lose after your tee shot they go none and i go okay how many um did you have to have a um A recovery shot where you had to punch back out of the fairway and they go none and i said how many balls went out of bounds and they go none and i go so you didn't drive it that bad yeah (laughs) and they go oh yeah i only hit a couple in the rough yeah so so you didn't lose any balls well that's 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 a good driving day if you you know 30 percent of your balls are in the rough you just crushed it all day yeah and didn't have any of the others you're in good shape it's that perspective i
0: mean I always call that the, uh, the sunshine and rainbows view. Like you, as, as you said, John Scott, it's like the farther you get away from the low handicap player. I mean, I deal with that with some of the the high school kids that I teach. I mean, you know, it's like, what'd you shoot? Uh, 42 for nine, you know, how'd you play? How'd you hit It's pretty good. Everything's pretty good. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, okay. Give me a so you, you shot six yeah. over. Like, yeah. well, you know, we're we're trying to get better here. <laughs> give me, give yeah. me something. Yeah. So it's always it's always interesting trying to draw that stuff out. So I think that's super important for people to understand that super. Be better at self evaluation and be a little more critical. It's okay. Yeah. Um. It, it's okay to be honest about it. So. Um, so guys, uh, just getting into some different player levels here for people who might be listening, you know, they may be at different levels, but let's start with, you know, we've all done it at some point, whether we teach them a lot now or not, someone new to the game. And so Chris, somebody comes up to you and they want to get into it. Um, what's your selling point for somebody to get in the game? Because we're getting some people now who are picking it up because there's really not a lot of other options. So. What, if you got to sell it to somebody to, to play the game, how would you sell it to them?
2: Well, I would start with, I'm going to teach them on the golf course. I'm not going to let them hit a ball on a range with me. So they'll they'll have plenty of time to do that on their own. Uh, I am going to take them right to the golf course and I'm going to teach them how to lag putt at 10% from the hole from whatever distance we're putting from. Um, I'm going to make sure that they... Are putting to the hole when they are putting to the hole in practice, that they're making 80% of the putts that they're hitting towards that hole. And they can move as far away as they want, but they're only going to uh, move away if they're making 80%. I'm going to teach them how to chip and control the speed of the ball coming off the club face so they can land it where they want, maybe with an eight iron or a nine iron. And I'm going to work from the green back. I'm just gradually going to build them back as we go away from the hole, all done on the golf course. So everything they do, you mentioned it right from the beginning is it's not flat. Um, I love uneven lies. I'm going to help them understand some very simple keys, um, how to control contact, um, how to control the direction of the face at those slow speeds. Um, And we're going to do it a lot and often, and we're going to work off a three-ball, worst-ball scramble. So they get three shots. We're going to start 50 yards because everybody I've ever taught can hit it 50 yards. And we're going to play a three-ball, worst-ball scramble, take the two best ones, put it by the worst one, we're going to hold it out. doesn't matter how many shots right now. So they play from a variety, and they always play from the worst. And then when they get out on their own, they can go to the range if they want, but they got to focus on their fundamentals, their foundation that we talk about, um, but when they play, they can pick the length of the golf course that I designate based on their skill. And when they achieve the next level, then they move back and we work on those things. Mm, that's perfect. That's awesome. John Scott.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think I, I would take a little, I love Chris's approach. Um, what I, what I do and what I've done in the past is uh, beginning golfer, I would, I start them with a form grip. I take, I have an old club. They know how to grip it right away. They can't cheat. So the next day they come they it's a form grip on the, on, on the seven iron. And then I get them to hook it or curve it for a right-handed golfer, hook it as much, as fast as possible. I want them to start playing, like start with a draw. Um, I don't start from the green backwards. I probably should do that more than I should, more than I do now. I start them right away with a form grip, hooking as, hooking as much as I can. I do a lot of like humans are great copiers. Um, so I, I would hit a ball or dem- do a lot of demonstrations to things and say, all right, so if you were going to teach me or if, if you were going to, mimic me what would that look like to you because sometimes they have really good solutions that you might not have to layer through so it's a little bit of an exploring um mindset of it it's not very rigid it's it's um, it's very exploratory but the two things that would be non-negotiables would be like a form grip like make sure you hold the club correctly because so many people that like whether it's weak or their hands are coming off the club or they're not like it's in the palm like you can make a lot of mistakes that way so i i kind of cheat on that part and then Teach them to draw it as fast as I can.
0: Yeah, and I think you know that's really interesting to get everybody's different takes on how they do it. You know, and Chris, you know, I think that's a great approach. For me, being just my my two cents of it too is you know being at a range. I mean, I have a little putting green, but for me, I'm always gonna sort of head in that direction too, John Scott, where I'm gonna get their hands on it, and I'm basically gonna teach them some basic setup you know, try and make some athletic connections to their past if they have it. And then we're going to try and get them to do a little, you know, hinge pivot hold and yeah. be able to pitch the ball in the air, 30 yards. And I'm like, look, if you can do this and hit it reasonably close to the middle of the face, that's a mini golf swing. Yeah. You're on your way. Um, but if, until you can do this for me, I'm not even going to hand you a, a anything longer until you can prove to me that you can have a, a sensation of, of movement and
1: motion and hold onto the club correctly. Yes. like. You know? teaching them solid contact. Like I think there's so much from us teachers. We have a, a very big responsibility for retention and growing the game and making sure people come back and they enjoy it. And I think the more you can hit it, get them hit solid, the faster you can get in a hit is solid and they feel the ball come off. And I'm like, wow, that was like, that's the, that's the hook, line and sinker. And, getting them to curve it and draw it early and can help them only hit more often help them hit it solid. That's kind of my goal early is to create a little ignition with them. I love group settings and with beginners, Um, people new to the game group settings is great. They can all learn from each other. Um, Yeah. I try to foster that as much as I can.
0: Yeah. And I think the other one too is, And you guys, you know, see if you agree with me on this, too. I think one thing I do start with with beginners is many of them have been to the range or swung a club before, even if it's just recreational, going out with friends and just whacking it around, renting clubs or whatever. Um, So I always like to ask them when I get an iron in their hands, like, hey, what's your concept here? How's the ball get up in the air? And it's really interesting to get some ones. of their answers yeah. uh, on how the ball goes airborne because their concept tr- drives how they, they move sometimes. Uh, so, I, you know, I don't know. What you, Chris, what's your thought on that?
2: Yeah, it definitely has an influence on what they actually do. You know, the interesting thing is, you know, I always like to ask them what they what are you trying to do for that mm-hmm. player? You know, and then, you go, well, they give me this great explanation and this is what I'm trying to do. And, and I even film them before I ask them that film them after and then film them and and go, okay, um, what you're trying to do and what you're actually doing may not be the same, but what you're trying to do is creating somewhat proper movements, or it could be farther away from what they need to do. Um, And that helps them understand that, yes, there's a relationship of of ways you need to get good contact, um, but there are motions and things that you create as a player that get the desired outcome.
1: Yeah, I mean, so often, like, you hear concepts like that, Mark, and you're like, they, they try to scoop the ball in the air, well, the the, the the club needs to have loft to hit it high, right? And then they, the player actually does what they're trying to do. It's just, it's not the right concept. And, like, that's, in yeah. early on, you got to really, like, dig through that and create some really good language and concepts with them. Because they can, they're more often times than not, they're doing what they're trying to do.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's not particularly repeatable. Unfortunately. You word. Yeah.
1: Unfortunately. Yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> so uh, one of the things that when we get into newer golfers, um, you know, we've talked a little bit here, just some great stuff about how to progress them and get started. Let's talk about timeline, because a lot of them then be, you know, they get into it and they're not sure what the timeline is. They're afraid to go play. When do I buy clubs? Um, it, it's it, it's a, a pretty important part in their development, a pretty, a pretty you know, important area that we got to cover. So when it comes to, you know, practice and playing the game for real and buying new clubs, Chris, what would you say sort of the progression is there to some degree for a newer player who's just getting started?
2: Yeah, I give it to that individual player. So everyone has a different budget on what they want to do. I've had players that just go right out and buy the whole um, set, the bag, some balls, they're ready to roll. Then I've had players that just want to grab, you know, and piece a couple of sets and clubs together. So the idea that um, as players get into the game, I want them playing more often than they're going to the range, whether that's three holes, two holes, six holes, it, it doesn't matter to me. But they're playing a golf course relative to their skill level in length. So they might play from 100 yards or 125 or 150. Um, or if they have a spouse or a significant other or a friend, that has played their experience level. When they get to the 150 yards, they stick it in the ground and that's where they start. Um, because by the time they get to the green, they still have their interest. They're gonna wanna play more golf. They have an, a legitimate opportunity to make par, or at least to have their first putt for par, which means a lot to them. Um, and as they gain skill, then they get a little farther away each time. So, or the next time they play, they're like, wow, well, I crushed it today. I'm gonna go from 175 next week. Um, So that would be one. I would tell that most players um, having – some players like to have the whole bag. That's okay. Other players, you you may not need that because when you first start, you you could have a 7-iron, a 9-iron, a sand wedge, a hybrid wood, and a driver, and you're going to be fine, right? Mm -hmm. You're going to be great because – you're going to be okay. You're going to hit those clubs different distances. Um, You're going to hit them different heights and that's going to get you through at least the first eight to 14 months.
1: Great. John Scott, what do you think? I I love using the analogy of going to the gym um, with learning learning anything but learning golf in particular. It's like if you go to the gym and you're trying to lose weight or get stronger and you just go once a week, probably not. It's going to take you a while to get strong. It's going to take you a while to lose that whatever you're trying to lose or gain whatever you're trying to gain. So, I think continuity or very early on in learning the game is really important. I think doing it multiple days in a row or just holding the club or getting out there as much as you can early, like four or five days in a row, um, is huge in learning it. I hear so many times that you hear a, a beginner lesson or a newer golfer, when should I come back? And I'm like, wow. Well, I can't really answer that question. It's like, when are you going to practice? Like, don't come back unless you practice three or four times and come back with questions. So the timeline on it to me is like, it depends how good you want to get it. If you, if you you come back tomorrow, if you're going to go practice all afternoon and come back with questions, but don't just go home and then come back tomorrow and expect it to change. Like your body wouldn't change. You wouldn't lose 10 pounds in a night. You shouldn't expect to like be totally different as a golfer the next day. So I I like, I think that kind of resonates with some people in, in terms of like development. Um, but as a timeline goes, like I would like the the more often you're doing it, the better you're gonna get at it, and you just don't don't go all right, I'm gonna take a lesson and then three weeks later, I'm gonna take another lesson and do nothing in between or test it out or come back with questions. It's not gonna do anyone any good,
0: yeah, I couldn't agree with that, uh both of you more, but you know, especially just getting a baseline of you know, experience and saying, okay, man, I, I went to the golf course, the part three course, I went to the range and here's what I was seeing. Yeah. If we don't have that, we're basically given the same lesson again. Um, and, and that's not really good for anybody. Uh, so I, I think that's, that's crucial just to get in there. If you're going to dive in dive in and, you know, get after it and let's see, see what we got. I really encourage you we'll to be on your way.
1: I really encourage people to play with people better than them. Because you can learn 100%. so much. You can, if you're really observant, you can see. all right, well, they hit this shot this way. Why did they hit their chips that low? Or, you know, why? Why? You know, why did they hit this club at this point? Or and so I really encourage them to, like, get out with players that are better than them. Get out of their comfort zone with it. Um, again, it's going to be a little chaotic. It's going to be messy, but it happens faster that way.
0: So we we slide out of you know the newer golfer. We've got them hooked. They get into the game. They're playing more and they're improving. Uh, they're coming and taking lessons regularly, hopefully. And, and now they're what I've called basically dubbed a a milestone golfer. We're, we're, we're shooting decent numbers. Now you're able to finish holes. You're making some big numbers, but you're finishing most every hole and you're, you're shooting in the nineties and now they want to break 90. Um, so from your perspective, we get somebody in that range. Uh, and I've got my take on this, uh, you know, but John Scott, what do you think are some keys to somebody getting out of the 90s consistently and getting into that 80s range, Now they're getting to that 15 handicap somewhere in there?
1: I would say, and I hope I say this the right way, is that like you're making three or you're getting down in three every time from 120 or however far you hit your pitching wedge. You're, you're making three from there. You're hitting on the green two putt every time. Meaning if you're out of play off the tee, you can hit it around 100 yards. You get it on the green, you make a bogey. So. Mm-hmm. I would say, like, number one is like, you can't hit it around the green and and skull a chip or hit a bunker or or blade a bunker shot and make a seven or eight or nine on a hole. So it's like, I really stress being able to um, get it in position around however far you hit your pitching wedge from there on in. You got to make a three. You can't make fours, fives, and sixes from there. And then you got to keep it in play, hit it far enough so you can have that distance more often and then uh, keep it in play um, from 120 and in. And then you're eliminating like your your chips. Like uh, when you're around the green, you miss the green, you got to get it up and down or make a three. You can't make a four or five from that specific spot. So I, I would say that's yeah. the fastest way to do it in, in my mind. Chris?
2: I agree with that 100% and second that with quite a bit of strategy at that level, at the 90 level, yeah. right? Yeah. Strategy meaning guys don't aim at the flag stick. Oh, um, yeah. Account for your ball, aim it where you need to aim it so that the ball finishes in the center of the green. And once it's on the green, then you can putt to the hole, but don't aim at the flagstick because most of the greens you miss are forced errors because you're aiming at flagsticks and you don't have a uh, good understanding of what the ball's going to do. Um, and then I'll circle back to where John Scott started with the beginning of the all the different nuances. At that level, it's time to start looking at understanding a bit of wind, what holes are playing crosswind into the wind, um, and pay particular attention to your club selection. I would say a majority of your miss screens may be from, or a good piece of your miss screens are from poor club selection because you 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 um, misjudge the distance um, to the hole or or how far you think the ball is going to go, either off the lie or because of the wind.
0: Yeah, and I I, I couldn't agree with both of you guys more on this, and I think it's important. We talked earlier about expectations, and you know you get people in this uh range the milestone golfer and they immediately you know they want to go to full swing they want to say i got to hit more greens of regulation but their viewpoint of how to do it is a technical way and i agree with both of you that it is much more of a game management way understanding that the yardage to the flag can be a sucker yardage why don't you hit it into the fab part of the green in and behind it in the center of the green uh things like that where they don't really think um in detail about it they look at it more as a black and white number uh or as you said chris you know they're going at flag sticks and they can increase those numbers just by being smarter um and work a lot you know not as hard at it uh, and improve the short game and i yeah i think that's great what you said too john scott about the getting down in three from their pitching wedge distance that's that's so important i mean not making a mess of it up by the green.
1: I think I don't know. I can't remember where I heard heard this analogy as well, but it's like you're shooting a, a shotgun, not a, a sniper rifle. It might have been Scott Fossetter with Decade yeah. Golf, but yeah, it's like you, you explain, like, hey, look, you're going to hit this shot. Like, you have 150 yards to a par three. You're going to hit this 100 times. You're going to have a dispersion. Tiger Woods has a dispersion. Everyone does. His just happens to be tighter than yours, and he misses it left maybe five times out of 100. You might miss it left 20 times. So you got to move your, your shotgun. Splatter your dispersion. You got to move that to a place where it's not going to get you in trouble. And I think that makes sense on a on a like a very like ten thousand foot level. But getting really getting people to really buy in and, and like be um, committed to that is a different story sometimes.
2: You know, it's interesting that, that, that level, that milestone golfer that wants to get into the eighties, they they have the idea in their mind. Many do, I won't say all do, but many do have the idea that they need to make more birdies. And that's not true in order to get down into the, the, you know, eighties and then even break the next barrier into the seventies, you need to make, uh, less big numbers. You need to make less double bogeys, less sevens, less eights. Um, and, and minimize the damage. And, and, you know, that goes back to that little short game conversation we had earlier. But you do it by making less big numbers, not by making more birdies. And really, you don't, shouldn't even be focused on trying to make birdies or even attempting to hit at flag sticks or certain flag sticks um, until you're in the very low 70s, one or two over par. And then at that point, only when you're close enough to throw it on the green. However, keeping in mind that you don't shoot lower scores by making more birdies, that's a huge element to helping you cross that barrier.
0: Yeah, that's fantastic. So what's your take then? You know, we're talking about sort of having a little bit better strategy here and being able to manage more, uh, more greens, less big mistakes Um, in terms of at this point, developing a consistent shape of flight, a pattern that they're going to be able to use and play with. Uh, what's your take on that, John Scott?
1: I think finding the center of the club face first. I mean, I think okay. if you find center contact, it's going to dictate a lot of where the swing is going to go. I think for a, a shorter, if the people who don't hit it that far, It's you're going to try to create draw. You're the, You want the ball on the ground rolling. It can roll far with a fade, but you also want to be able to get that ball on the ground rolling if the distance isn't quite as far. Um, so it's finding center contact. I like to teach the, a lot of variability. I, I, they, each student should have a dominant ball flight, right? Like you have a dominant, most people are going to hit a draw or a fade, dominant. Um, but I love to teach all of it. Fades, draws, low, high, whatever, because the student needs to know from a self-awareness standpoint, why things are happening in their swing Well, I'm fading it because they need to know what a left path feels like or a right path or over the top or steep or shallow. So I'm really trying to like, they're going to teach, they're going to know how to hit all of the shots um but they're going to have a dominant ball flight that creates center contact. It's all about finding center contact.
2: Yeah, no doubt. Center contact is is a big piece of that puzzle. I certainly help them understand that some players have more of a left to right pattern for a right-handed golfer or left-hand, you know, yeah. or a right to left pattern and and which one they produce with a lot less stress or thought. Um because in the end if we have a straight line from The ball to the center of the green, whether that ball moves right to left or left to right, as long as it's moving in that direction consistently and has about the same amount of curve on it um, and it's traveling about the same amount of distance, like, you know, making center contact and you have a good face and path relationship. For me, it, it, it really isn't a huge preference at this level. Um, because it's the consistency and they know where the ball is going to go. And and a player that knows where the ball is going to go and about how much it's going to move is a confident player. That player can, can play some golf. That player has a smaller dispersion pattern than one that is trying to hit it straight and doesn't know if it's going to go right or left.
0: Yeah. That's, and you know, just on top of all that, I think that's a great point for everybody to take away. I always say to the students like, look right now, I want you to hit it as solidly as you possibly can. And if it goes left or right, one way or the other, we'll fix the direction later. We just can't do it in the reverse. And I think, you know, if we get them just flushing it, it's easy to reel that in and find a pattern directionally with it for sure. Uh, No question. Um, So, you know, guys, we get, we keep sliding along here and we get the milestone golfer. You know, we got some ideas for them in terms of what they need to do better management, better contact. Being a little smarter about it. Now we kind of slide into uh, the competitive golfer, and now it's a little bit of a broad category because, as we know, there's a big difference between a low handicap player, a scratch player, and an elite player. Uh, you guys certainly have a very good understanding of that. Uh, but let's just talk about that as we get into that low handicap range. What what attributes um, does someone have to become? We'll call a, a better player, a low handicap to scratch player first john scott
1: i mean i think if you just look at the statistics you're going to see a direct correlation to driver distance or speed into handicap um the thing that i would stress the most like the, the better player they're, they're they're they know how far they're hitting the ball they, like distance control from is impeccable at an, an elite level Um, But the lower handicappers, the difference between 162 and 158 is really different. And then their decision making gets really different. And then their awareness on what the wind's doing gets really different. So that nuance starts to show up a little bit there where, all right, well, I have a a bunker in front of the green and I have 158 and I'm going to do this. And it's a little in the wind and it's early in the morning. And they take all this information and they're able to hit the right shot. It's, It's not necessarily like their swing is in a better spot. Um, but they can they hit the right shot more often because they have so much more observation or so much more awareness of what's going on. Um, then they're swing, they have a like a dominant ball flight, and they can create center contact, they can create some repeatability with their movement. Repeatability and predictability create confidence. So you add all that up, you can shoot some good scores. You got a little bit of speed, you got some predictability, you got some repeatability, you have some confidence, and then you have decision making. I didn't say anything in there about left wrist flexion or I didn't say anything about, you know, (laughs) I didn't say anything in there about external rotation in the shoulder. I didn't say anything about using the ground. I didn't say anything about uh, lifting your left heel. So I think you can get really good at this game. Like these are all skills that are so undervalued and so undertaught. But like that's kind of my approach to it. Chris
2: yeah that's great i I agree (laughs) a lot of that Um, those are fantastic so I, i would agree with that and adding into that i would tell you they are disciplined um they they are not distracted they don't respond to disruptors um they they have a very clear understanding of uh good contact they can control the curve and they can control the distance um In that example, I would tell you, and John touched on it there, Um, they know the distance to cover the bunker in front. They may know the distance to the back of the green. They may know the distance to the flag, but most important, they know the distance of the club they're going to hit. And there is a big difference between 158 and 162 at that level. Um, And if the flag is at 156 and and the club they have, so they know they carry the bunker, goes 161, they're going to hit the club they have 161. They're not going to try and hit it a little softer yeah. uh, to get to the flag. And, and you know, we all like to play a little television golf every now and then of, of let's feather this or hit it softer or hit it higher or hit it farther. Um, but you just don't at that level, even at the scratch and the plus or the, let's say, two to three handicap, you just don't hit enough shots on the range or practice enough because there's some good two to threes that, Play twice a week and hit balls three to four times a week, mm-hmm. truly. Um, yeah. But that's also why there are two or a three. Um, and they very rarely miss a short game shot. They will leave it below the hole. They'll have it between eight and four if six o'clock is a straight uphill putt and they convert 55, 60% of them.
1: Mm-hmm. I think my um, my my roommate in college, his, his dad was a professional baseball player, Ricky Honeycutt. Okay. So he was a, a pitcher for the Oakland A's. Awesome pitcher. I think he might have played for a couple at the Dodgers. Maybe I think he might even be the manager for the Dodgers now. But I always remember him telling you, John Scott. Professional sports is about making adjustments. It's about making adjustments. And like at that time, I was just, yeah, whatever. You don't know what you're talking about. But you think about the better golfer, like the analogy that Chris just made or the story that Chris just made. Like a really low handicap golfer, they know where they're at through four holes. Where's my swing today? What's the ball doing today? Like how do I feel? How far am I hitting it? Or or like something feels off is the ball too far back from my stance they they're they get it they make those adjustments so they can turn a 78 into a 74 or an 82 into a 79 stuff like that those are the little things that like you got to pick up on and it's just about making those adjustments so you can play so you can get the ball in the hole so uh, i think
0: you know one of the the threads across all of these that I've done with with everybody is the discussion on, and I think this level of golfer, it's particularly uh, important the discussion on failure. Um, and you know, is it a necessary evil? Is it a good thing when you get to this point where you're getting in the fire? Now you're not playing just casual golf anymore. You're playing whether it be just the simple club championship in the first flight, or you're going to Monday qualifier, whatever. Uh, Let's get the take on pressure and and failure. Uh, Chris, what's your thought there?
2: So I think it is absolutely necessary. Unfortunately, I believe that um, you you don't know how you're going to react until you've been in that moment. Um, You don't know how you're going to respond. You don't know how to adapt on one of the great words that John Scott just used. You you just really don't. Um, Every player, that I've taught has done it differently. They respond differently um, emotionally, physically. Um, There's a lot that goes into that competitive uh, arena, whether it's winning or being in a playoff for the first time, whatever it might be. I think the most important thing for a player to do if it is the first time that you're in that situation is after you get through it, step back, sit down and go, okay, what was that experience like? What, what did I, how did I respond? What were the conditions? How did I emotionally respond to it? Um, What do I think I did well? What do I think I did not do well? Um, And that's where you come back to us, like John Scott, even if you're a beginner, you got to come back with questions. You got to get some experience and you got to come back with questions. And then the same thing at this level, how, how, how can we be better? Could we have prepared better um, you know, the one I get is match play versus stroke play a lot. Um, you know, do I, does my strategy change or what should I do? Did I do the right thing? They hit it here. Do I now change my game plan? So I'd be curious to see here. You know, John's got uh, a little different level, um, certainly with different players on different tours. Some of those discussions that he's had players that have won. We've had players that haven't won that haven't yet had that experience gained.
1: I mean, I think that's such a that's a great question. I mean, I think I think a failure, I think in order in order to succeed, you have to be in a position to fail. So like if you are failing, that means there was a lot of good there to get you in that position. So as the coach, you know, if you are if you have a player that you've been um, teaching for a long time, like you can help foster that relationship and their perception of failure over time and whether they have a growth mindset or a fixed mindset so there's a lot of um, coaching you can do from that standpoint but I mean failure dep- depending how you look on it. and if you're really outcome-oriented failure is going to hit you pretty hard and unfortunately in this game no matter where you go there you are it's going to find you if if like Bob Rotella you said coaching golf at Virginia we were lucky enough to be um, around Bob Rotella all the time once a month we'd go to his house and he'd tell us stories about you know his Teaching LeBron James or working with the Goo, Goo dolls or golfers—it was fascinating. And he said, look, no matter where you go in a tournament, um, it's going to come. Uh, the, no matter who wins, it's going to come down to what they struggle with most. Like whether it's Tiger Woods hitting a driver or Jordan Speed hitting a, a short putt, or whatever he's struggling with. He's not doing that now, but th- you get the point of it's going to happen at every level, and it's going to come find you if you're struggling with your chipping and you're coming down the stretch in the club championship. <laughs> you're probably going to have a chip coming down the last three holes that you better you know know what to do with and so I think it's the the earlier you accept that and the earlier you're able to address it and the more solutions you have to it the better you're going to handle it yeah that's
2: yeah and, and going into that my I mean when you're in that arena that you're you're in it and if you think that you're gonna go into that and not face any adversity and everything's going to go to plan
1: yeah you're yeah. not gonna make it through <laughs> yeah
2: you're, you're not you're gonna suck wind so fast um, and, and you're gonna you're going to fail. If,
1: if people knew how many times Ben Hogan three-putted the last hole of the tournament to lose the tournament. Think about that. He had a he was leading the last hole of the tournament three-putted to lose it. It had to be – I want to say he did it three times in one year. Mm. Oh, and, and two of them in majors. I mean, think about that if that happened on Twitter now. Like oh, yeah. <laughs> the world would have that. Like DJ or whoever did it would never be able to hit another putt. But, like, it's part of it, whether you're Ben Hogan or whether you're playing in the club championship, or you're trying to be the milestone golfer, like you're going to, you know, if you're, if you don't, <laughs> it's going to, the game's going to catch up to you. Yeah. And I
0: think, you know, just to top that off, there's such great info. And I think the other part to me, it seems like the best players are the ones who are able to take that three putt on the last hole, learn from it and walk away from it quicker than the other yeah. person. I mean, everybody talks about DJ, you know, you know, he seems like everything just, you know, water off his, off his back. And, you know, again, I think it speaks a lot to him when you talk about a guy who shot, you know, 80, 80, 78 withdraw and then shoots 30 under this past week as we record this. And uh, I think, you know, dealing with it is one thing, learning from it, and then being able to move on
1: and, you know, tee it up again. Absolutely. That's part of what makes him great. If he would have gone to the range and tried to grind on it and tried to like video and the track man, like it, he probably wouldn't have gotten to this place as fast
0: for sure. Yeah. So uh, as we sort of turn the corner here to, to, uh, Last few things here, guys. Is just for both of you too. What was the draw of coaching for you? Um, what What is it that you love about coaching people? John Scott, go
1: ahead. Gosh, I mean, that's it to see the the player make a change. Uh, to see the change kind of take uh, take place, to change the behavior of something, and to see the light the light bulb turn off, like or turn on. We we've all been there as coach, whether it's someone hitting the sweet spot or the draw for the first time, or like. You, you, I I get chills thinking about it. Just that the person doing something for the first time, creating that new awareness of, oh, wow, if I do this and that happens, wow, that's so cool. I can do that. And then you being able to like be a part of that process with them, that's that's it, whether at any level. Chris,
2: I, I second that, you know, and my favorite is there are a couple. One is the relationship, you know, everything that you do is built around, you know, human behavior and people and relationships, but helping them and being a part of that light bulb moment. Um, you know, the player that goes, man, I've never hooked one. I've never drawn a golf ball. And I really want to do that. I've been playing for five years. Yeah. And you go, well, let me see you swing a couple of times. And, and immediately we know, OK, this player can do it in 10 swings yeah. with a little coaching or they could do it in 30 swings. Um, and just the the possibility that they're closer than they ever dreamed they were and with the right direction and, and the right movement, uh, getting them to that, and and then all of a sudden they stripe one and it's got a tight draw yeah. that they've been dreaming Absolutely. of for years, and all of a sudden they do three or four in a row, and we go, okay, we got it. Now we just, it's okay to hit a little left of that, it's okay to hit a little right of that, but let's understand what you're doing as a player to influence the club and let the club do its job to educate the ball and let the ball do its job and go in the hole. Um, you know, that's a fun time that those are, I get chills as well. John. it's just yeah. the coolest thing to stand there and watch somebody just go. Wow. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. And whether it's a beginner making good ground contact in the center of the club face with the ball or whether it's a guy hitting that draw we just talked about, I mean, it's just unbelievable. It's so much fun. My day is, yeah. made every day. Cause that's, it's a great part of it.
0: Yeah. And I think you use the word that, you know, again, I've used these a couple of these words often because they mean a lot to me, certainly. And, you know, the relationships, Chris, I mean, that's, that's the coaching part there's teaching and giving lessons and then there's relationships and coaching. Uh, and then the other part, you know, as you both uh, eloquently put here, just sort of giving people more joy. Uh, that's, I mean, that's a pretty powerful thing that we get to do. Uh, through golf. And so it's, it's pretty, it's pretty neat. Um, So from a professional development standpoint, um, and it's a pretty broad question, uh, maybe I should have prepped you for this one. But you know, what information or, or experience maybe in your coaching career has made the biggest impact on you? Maybe it's a person or an experience, uh, or information or a combination of it. Maybe something that stands out to you immediately that really had an influence on how you deal with Uh, with your students in front of you john scott what do you think
1: gosh the first thing that comes to my mind would be fail failure like just we talked about like being in a lesson and saying thinking you know how to go a certain route and helping a student and not being able it doesn't it didn't stick it didn't work so having to figure out um like why that didn't work and what decision you made as a coach like why it didn't stick is or get there better as faster as you wanted um in terms of moments like going to watch cameron mccormick teach was very Uh, influential on me I I went to Dallas in 2011 and 12 I probably went there five or six times and just watched him the way he talked and his mannerisms and the way he was able to connect with his students was like on a whole nother level for me and um, that the, the seeing that foundation as a coach and the relationships he built with his students and the way he was able to help foster all the things like I try to do of the awareness of the other parts of the game and other parts of learning. That was probably the most influential part of me as a a developing teacher. Like I I think about it every day when I go to teach. Um, I think about it probably in every lesson. Um, But I would say those two things. And then like currently Mark Bull has been a huge influence on me. He's really got me to think outside the box of my comfort zone of why the body moves the way it does at a whole different level. Um, So those would be three, three things for me. Yeah, I
2: I would agree with that too. You know, it's, it's knowing uh, that every lesson does not know grow perfectly. It it doesn't, um, you, you you come away from some of them and we should have been a lot better at what we did. We should have got that a lot better than we did it. Um, so seeking out, uh, counsel, seeking out, surrounding yourself with, with other colleagues and peers that, that have, um, a lot more information and and knowledge uh, and have more experience in those types of situations, just to grow as a person, knowing what you don't know is, is very relevant and being um, open and honest about that. You may not know that, you know, having other people that I have players that, that they are parts of their games, that there are are people that specialize in that and that's what they do. And, and to be open and honest to say, Hey, I, I, I love what we're doing, but that part of your game, I think for the, for the, whole and greatness of you as a player and performance on the next level or whatever that might look like. Let's, let's go together to this person. Um, so that's, you know, not only my own professional development, that's us or she or he Absolutely, as a yeah. player. Um, and that takes a lot to say, hey, you know yeah. what, we might not be the right fit. I think this person would be better for you or let's go together and let's work through this with, another set of eyes, a different perspective with somebody that this is their specialty. Um, and that's huge. That really will help, um, growth as a, a coach, a human player, um, and a team, you know, there, there are a lot of teams out there that are very successful for, for very good reasons.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's said perfectly too, Chris. I mean, I think the, the minute you, uh, Don't have a comfort level to say, hey, I think somebody can help you better than I can. And I can learn from them too, is the minute you really don't value the relationship as much as you say you do. So I think that's, that's outstanding uh, advice. And, um, you know, certainly why both you guys are as, as good as you are at what you do. So, as we wrap it up here, we're just gonna we're gonna hammer through some rapid fire stuff here. Um, nothing too scary here, so don't 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 be scared, Chris. You look kind of nervous on on there. I'm so, ready. all right. So first off, uh, favorite training aid, John Scott.
1: Total golf trainer right now, the arm one. It's really mm-hmm. good, Chris. Leadbetter swing setter. Okay. They don't make it anymore. It's hard to find that. You can't even find <laughs> it. You got to go on eBay to find one of those. Those are great. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah.
2: All right. I,
0: those were two. I was well. You know Chris, yours was not what I expected, but you know, I, I'll, I'm going to go. How about you? What's yours? Uh, I'm going. You yeah. Got? I mean, right now I'm going Smart Ball. You know, my boy Martin Chuck. Yeah. I mean, I use that thing so yeah, much. Hey, here you go. Uh, and twist it in all different ways too. All right. Uh,
1: yeah, there's so many different ways you can use some of these things. They're so virtual.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. yeah.
2: That's why I like the sweater. Yeah.
1: All right. torquestriker.com. Hey, there go, you go. Give That's
0: Give right. my MC a plug. He, he appreciates it. Uh, All right. So we all have our pet page and you can take this easier or as hard as you want to. But what do students do that in the lessons that drives you crazy, Chris? <laughs>
2: i saw here john uh, scott's first
1: yeah does it drive me crazy don't practice in between lessons yeah i don't know if that's an answer yeah. for in the lesson don't no, practice in between fair. lessons i would probably yeah. say that like you think about that the uh like rapid fire rapid fire yeah, probably be, try and
2: control they try and control the balls yeah
1: telling telling yeah. me what they coming in telling me what they want to work on can i keep going can i can keep yeah, going I, now I, you yeah, want yeah, coming in here i want to work on x y and z i'm like well wait a minute. yeah i can keep going if you want
0: <laughs> yeah no <laughs> i agree it's like uh well what's the what do we got going on what's the problem and then i you yeah. know it's uh i say well, what's the ball doing and then i hear well my right elbow's flying my head's down too yeah, long. Yeah, yeah you know it's like okay stop so there, there yeah. you go okay yeah. there's info and there's there's information for golfers out there who are listening to this in that segment there okay yeah. for sure yeah okay real uh, another quick one here hit it hit it far or putt it like a madman
1: i mean i'll take hitting it far right now i'll be I'll, I'll take it in pretty far chris
0: i'd go far first yeah. yeah yeah well i mean the way the game's going right now i'd
1: get it on the green as fast as i can i get it on the green as fast as i can
0: yeah yeah all right well that's the way it seems to be going um uh, uh, chris i know you'll have a, a uh, an answer on this one uh favorite stat tracking options maybe a cheap one and an expensive one i mean my students i i have a bunch of my students using arcos uh, but what are your what are your faves
2: a uh, cheap one would be 18 birdies. It's pretty user-friendly. Just pay for the, the subscription. Um, there, Arcos is is a good one if you want some more detailed info, if you want to get the upgrade for your clubs.
1: Mine's just an Excel file. I just need—I I don't need any more subscription-based stuff in my life. I'm just with, all I want—you can you create an Excel file. You know how to use Excel. You can create a totally fine Stack Dragon program. You don't need to—you don't need anything super, super fancy. You don't need Shotlink. You just get an Excel file. You know what you need to do.
0: Okay, all right. This is one simpler. Fade or draw, John Scott.
1: You know, I'm a big fade guy. I like it. I like. Uh, I like um, the better the player. I like the... You got to be able to fade it. You got to be able to hit a, a hit, hit a ball that holds against the wind. Got to be able to um, keep the ball in play uh, that way. Um, I'm going to go with a dominant fade. I'll second that. Okay, uh, I'm heading to that. As fast as some of these players are going that that way, I think a fade. You're going to still see guys, guys that draw it, like Webb draws mm-hmm. it. Um, you're going to as fast as some of these guys play um, with the equipment and as good as it is, I think you're going to see more fade bias. Um, it's just much a much more controlled shot
0: yeah yeah i think i'm a little bit draw biased simply because of the 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 students that i teach you know i'm in that mid-range with a lot of folks who come to me and still hate the slice to death and they want to see one go right right to left and you've like changed their life so i'm probably a little draw biased um but
1: i think everyone goes through learning to draw and they i would say everyone had learned to draw at some point and then they learn the draw they teach the draw out of them at some Mm -hmm. point
0: yeah okay favorite major championship
1: i'm going u.s open
0: Open championship. Yeah, I second that, Chris. Mm-hmm. Nothing like getting up at 4.30 in the morning with coffee. I was going to say, you
1: guys just like <laughs> watching golf at 9 a.m. Oh, well, yeah. yeah. Well, or 4.30 a.m.
0: I'll do yeah, that, 4:30 too. Yeah, 4.30 a.m., yeah. All right, best yeah. best course you've played, John Scott?
1: Best course I've played. Is that favorite course or best course? Best course favorite, is probably... Favorite, that's
0: probably better wording.
1: Favorite course, Favorite course: Holston Hills, the course we played in college at Tennessee. It's just an old Donna Ross course. It's just really enjoyable. Ends in two par five, so that's always fun. You know, turn a seventy four into a seventy one sometimes, and makes you feel better about your golf. But it's just a, it's a good golf course. Pretty simple, Holston Hill, Chris.
2: Two are good, I think. Uh, congressional, just to throw John Scott one there, and um, and Pine, Pinehurst too, I think, is a great. There's just something about the smell, the sound, the aurora. Yeah. I mean, Pinehurst just is just something. And and you, the other golf courses are great, but there's something about when you play two, it's just different.
0: Yeah, uh, it's, I'll, I'll probably. I mean. I obviously played congressional a bunch of times and it's, it's fantastic. I'm, I'm going to go with, uh, with band dunes. Uh, that was just,
1: that looked amazing at um, the USA special.
0: And luckily we didn't play it with uh 875 mile per hour winds and we played it. Thank God. Uh, but it was, yeah. was amazing. Um, so final thing guys was, you know, just kind of a broad one here, but what's, what's next for you guys? Like, you know, where you are in your coaching career now, where do you want to be next? Like, what's the next thing? Cause you guys are both constant learners uh, to use that term we often use in our industry. Um, Chris, where do you, where do you see yourself going? Where do you want to be?
2: Well, I tell you, I would love to be able to be in a position where I could, um, coach and grow other professionals, uh, at a totally different level from a um, full-time teaching standpoint. I think that would be very beneficial. Um, not only for me and and trying to help pass on some of the things that I've learned through my career so far to the younger uh, generation and, and um, help them learn how to create uh, not only great golf swings, but great relationships and players um, that play at a very competitive level, if that's something they desire to do. Um, And then we'll see, we'll see what the future holds, um, you know, to, to be able to, to, grow every day and be 1% better tomorrow than I was today. You know, the, the future will take care of itself. The results will take care of themselves. And, and I just strive to be better tomorrow than I was today. And that's where we sit down and reflect and write down in our journal, or at least I do, um, each day about what I did well, um, where my uh, opportunities for uh, growth are for the next day, um, how I could have maybe had a better conversation or worded it differently so that player could have gotten it better. Um, or faster, you know, that was one of the things, how do players get better faster? Um, Yes, some of it's on their part, but, you know, I I probably spend at least an hour or two hours on a player, especially a player that I see that's a long-term player with me for every hour that I'm with them, whether that's looking at video, whether that's looking at their stats, whether their tournament performances, whatever that might look like. Um, So that's kind of, in a nutshell, what what, I envision the future... Let's be better tomorrow and leave it better than we found. Beautiful. John Scott.
1: Yeah. I think from a player support perspective, I'm trying to grow out of just an hour an hour an hour lessons and try to be able to provide more support at a totally deeper level with the majority of my students. Um, So I think that's something I'm trying to figure out how to do. I think it's hard to do at at sometimes as teachers, because we all have a lot of students and we have time, we have limited time. We only have one of us and, 10 to 12 hours a day and then we have to teach and then we have a, fa- we have a family we have all that stuff we want to make sure we're good at and, um, but for me it's just really trying to make sure that I'm able to provide the best amount of support I can for each student um, in exploring different ways other than an hour-to-hour lesson uh, to get that done that would be my, my
0: biggest yeah thing. I'm, I mean I'm um... Those are both great answers. And I think, you know, John Scott, I'm with you there to some degree. I mean, it's, it's evolved to a point where I'm full, you know, five or six weeks out yeah. and that's great. And I'm thankful for that every day. Right. And that we get to do what we do and the long-term relationships are the vast majority of the people I teach. But again, I think I would like to be able to to push that beyond that a little bit from the hour to hour thing and, and find a way to do that because the, the value and the relationships is what it's all about. Uh, so, you know, the, yeah. the money will come, But that's not, you know, that's not the biggest thing, obviously.
1: I think if you look at it from like, what does each player need? And to be able to provide that for each player, every whether you're at the milestone golf, like what they actually need is a lot greater than sometimes like we're giving. Like I know, I know that's with me sometimes just from availability some sometimes. And I want to be able to answer that question in five years and say I'm able to do that. Yeah, perfect.
0: Well, fellas, listen, uh, I I really appreciate you guys uh, taking part in this with me and taking your time away from uh, family and and the evening to join me on here. Uh, You guys are are great pros, great teachers, teachers of the year, uh, and I really appreciate you guys jumping in here and wish you guys and your families all the best health-wise and hopefully 2021 as we cruise towards it is going to be a hell of a lot better than 2020. That's for sure. So really appreciate you guys coming (laughs) on with me today.
1: All right. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, Chris. Appreciate it, guys. Be well. Thanks, guys.
0: Well, that was a great Teacher of the Year roundtable with John Scott Rattan and Chris George. I want to thank them both for joining me. If you're a beginning golfer, I think what you can take away is you've got to find a coach that's going to give you a fundamental start to this great game. And if you're a milestone golfer looking to shoot in the 80s all the time and break through, learning to make center contact and managing your game better will make all the difference. And finally, if you're a better golfer and want to move to an elite player, learning that failure, while not much fun, can really be a stepping stone for you to make it to the next level. So thanks again to John, Scott, and Chris. I hope you enjoyed the Driving Improvement Podcast with Mark Brusso, and until next time, we'll see you on the lesson team.